here, this music is very alive. It's all over the place. People listen to Colombian folk music everywhere. You can hear that music all the way. In public transportation buses, when I was a kid, those buses would play music. So you were in contact with that music. It's not more like an ethnomusicologist's work. And there are many movements of Colombian music. Some of those are called like the, the new Colombian music, so they mix jazz and world music and make new versions of the old tunes. And people are composing new music all the time. That's composer Juan Antonio Cuellar talking about the influence of folk music on his own music that he writes, but also just on the citizens of Colombia in general. Folk music is a pervasive part of the culture there. You hear it almost everywhere you go. It's very difficult to go anywhere in a large city like Bogota and not hear folk music. This is something that I had the great fortune to find out for myself firsthand as I was able to go in the field with my producer, Jesse McCorders, and travel to Bogota and to Medellin and talk to a lot of these composers firsthand. Welcome to Relevant Tones. I'm Seth Bosted. This is the first in a two-part series called In the Field, Colombia, and it's such a great honor for us to be able to talk with all of the composers that I'll be featuring on these two shows. You will hear from them all about their background, their interests, and specifically about the pieces that we're going to play. The highlight of our trip to Colombia was definitely the world premiere of a new piece by Juan Antonio Cuellar, who we heard open up the program. And the world premiere of that piece was given by our friends, the Lincoln Trio, who are a Chicago-based piano trio who were down in Bogota at the same time as us. I'm going to feature that piece in the second part of In the Field, Colombia, so stay tuned for that. But every day was jam-packed with interviews with wonderful composers and performers. All of these interviews in Bogota took place in the Biblioteca Luis Angel Arango, which is more than a biblioteca, more than a library. It also has a stunningly beautiful concert hall. There are art exhibitions there, practice rooms for music students, lecture rooms, all kinds of great cultural events going on there. The first composer that I got to speak with in the biblioteca was Camilo Giraldo. Here's a little excerpt of our conversation that day. Chucuchuco is like the popular music we hear in Colombia at the end of the year. And it's like a parody of this music for chamber music, the, the guitar trio, three classical guitars. And it's like, um, the image is like a Lars von Trier uh, movie, but with Colombian people. Uh, this is your image that you have yeah, in yeah, your yeah, mind? Yeah. Uh, with this party at the end of the year. It's popular music with different rhythms, but, it, but it's the music that the, pop, the popular music that the most Colombian people hear in, uh, at the end of the year. But uh, the image is like uh, a party when, when something goes wrong. You, you see all the family so happy, but someone get drunk and, they get drunk and, and do something stupid. You know? And it, this, is, this is the parody of, the, okay. of this piece. Yeah, I mean, Von Trier is always interested in the outsider or somebody who doesn't belong or there's a, like you said, something not quite right. Do we hear that in the music? Is there, is it one of the instruments is out of tune? It's progressive, progressive. At the end of the piece, you can hear the 
the density of the harmony and something goes wrong, but it's in, in, intentional. That's an excerpt of my conversation with the composer and guitarist Camilo Giraldo, and we're going to hear his piece now, Chuku Chuku, which, as he says, in perhaps one of the most interesting descriptions that we've had on the show, it is a musical exploration of an imaginary Lars von Trier film, or at least related to the kind of plot structures that von Trier favors. Let's have a listen to the Trip, Trip, Trip guitar trio, of which the composer himself is a founding member and a performer. Here they are playing Chuku Chuku, music of Camilo Giraldo.
That's music by composer Camilo Giraldo, who we also heard performing with his guitar trio, Trip, Trip, Trip. The piece is called Chuku Chuku, kind of an exploration of the outsider, or as he put it in our conversation, there's a party and everything's going okay, and perhaps somebody is not behaving quite right. You can hear that in one of the guitar parts. It's not quite with the rest of the ensemble, and that alienation, that sense of being an outsider, grows throughout the piece. Interesting music by Camilo Giraldo, the first composer that we spoke to in Bogota. Featuring music by composers in this first episode of In the Field, Colombia, who live in Bogota. We will be in Medellin for the second part, and we'll also feature the world premiere of a piece by Juan Antonio Cuellar in the second part. I'm going to play music now by composer Gustavo Parra. It was so much fun to talk with him right off the bat from the moment he walked in the room. We knew we were in the presence of somebody with a healthy sense of humor. I am holding in my hand his CD that we're going to be playing a piece from here in a moment. The cover is like this Dali-esque image. There's a man in a full tuxedo looking very dapper indeed, except that his head is replaced with a French horn, his right hand replaced with a violin. It's a surreal image, but it's also, it's funny. The first thing that you think is that that's a funny image, which is so much like Parra himself. And that irreverent sensibility is especially evident in his title. I use a lot of titles, irreverent titles, because I, I was against, when I was young, against a pseudo-intellectual, pretentious composers. I was uh, doing something, and I was very young, and I said, no, I don't like that. And I start to put uh, some uh, pornographic or um, jokes about titles, for example, the dance of <laughs> in Spanish is the La Danza de los okay. is dedicated to all the politicians over the world, you know. But now I left in the past that kind of titles. I'm uh, writing uh, normal titles. That's just a little bit of my conversation with Gustavo Parra talking about some of these titles that he's used when he was younger. And he told me that as he's gotten older, he's left some of that behind him. He's not uh, you know, the angry young man so much anymore. But for me, at least, in my opinion, I think his titles remain still very colorful and with a sense of fun. But for me, the most interesting part of our conversation was when I asked him, what do you want to express as a composer? And this is a question I sometimes ask people, and usually it's such a big question, they don't have an answer right off the top of their heads. But Gustavo had a fascinating response. A friend of a friend of mine, he decided to ask me that kind of question. We um, left out a a concert, and uh, orchestra played... uh, one of the, my my pieces, and after that we we went to a pub to drink some beer. And the friend of my friend asked me, Gustavo, why do you compose? And I said, Oh my God. I never thought it. what what's the reason? And I said, Oh, it's a terrible question. Let me think. I need a year. To think and after a year we uh, met again in a concert of another of my pieces and we went to the pub uh, to take a beer and I said hey you remember you 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 you, you do me a question in the past uh, a terrible question and I said mm, I don't remember and I said oh no for me it was very important 
And I was thinking a lot why I, I, I decided to compose. And I discovered two reasons. The first is that uh, insatisfaction. Because so there's a lot of uh, good music. What is the sense? And I said, ah, oh, but I'm not satisfied completely. The second reason I said to my friend is like, uh, how you say naufrago? The people who, who lost in the in Iceland, in, like Tom Hanks. Like, a, like Tom Hanks in, in like you're Castaway. Okay. Yeah? And I said, I feel the necessity to put a message in a, a bottle with the hope that somebody find and take and maybe with a, a more hopes that he open the bottle and take the message and he can decide to read or not to read but I hope that somebody read and when the people take the message and decide to read in the message the message says uh, I'm alone. Come rescue, rescue me. me. Yes, <laughs> that's the reason. It's uh, the reason of communication. My my passion, my uh, demons, my fears, my hopes, in an abstract way. Let's hear some music from Gustavo. Here is a piece with a typically colorful title: "The Hairy and Big-Lipped Frog" from Botswana. This is a brass quintet. The performance is by Jorge Meja, Juan Fernando Abendano, Johnny Lucero, Giovanni Scarpetta, and Juan Ernest Sepulveda. Music of Gustavo Parra. Thank you. 
can really hear the Stravinsky influence in that piece. It's music by Gustavo Parra, and in our interview in Bogota, he told me that he really liked the music of Stravinsky, but one of the things that makes him want to compose is he wants to take a piece, say, by Stravinsky, and tweak it a little bit. And I think that's kind of funny, this idea of tweaking Stravinsky, who is himself the ultimate tweaker. The piece is a brass quintet. It's called the Hairy and Big-Lipped Frog from Botswana. We heard Jorge Meja, Juan Fernando Avendaño, Johnny Lucero, Giovanni Scarpetta, and Juan Ernie Sepulveda performing, again, music of Colombian composer Gustavo Parra. You're listening to Relevant Tones, a show featuring the music of contemporary composers. Today's program is part one of a two-part series, In the Field, Colombia. We had the chance to travel to Bogota and Medellin and talk to composers directly and feature their music. To subscribe to our podcast or for streaming versions of this and all previous episodes, you can visit relevanttones.com. Today's program is the first in a two-part series called In the Field, Colombia. The Relevant Tones team had a great chance to travel to Bogota and Medellin and talk to composers firsthand, and we're featuring their music on these two programs today. The next composer I spoke with was Carlina Noguera, and she had a fascinating mix of influences in her music. I have two different styles that I have constructed so far. I think the previous one was before I went to the United Kingdom to study. I was interested, and I'm still interested, but I remember in those years I was absolutely interested and focused on machines the sound of machines, uh, the rhythms I could recreate thinking of machines. And then when I moved to the UK to study, I remember I was very, very nostalgic. So I started to combine these sounds of machines with sounds of traditional music from Colombia. So I used in my compositions from those years um, sounds from music from the Pacific coast from Colombia particularly the sounds of marimba de chonta, an instrument that is typical from there, and also songs from the Caribbean, the Colombian Caribbean. So I just did this combination with the sounds of machines and this uh, folkloric music, folk music. So I think I have been moving with this combination so far. Now that I am back to Colombia, I don't feel this nostalgia anymore. But I am still uh, very, very interested in the sounds of the keyboards from traditional music. So I still combine it with sounds of machines. That's composer Carlina Noguera talking to me in the Biblioteca Luis Angel Arango in Bogota, Colombia, talking about this mix of influences on her music, a kind of fascination with machine-like intensity combined with the Colombian folk heritage. We're definitely going to hear that in the string quartet. This is her first string quartet. We're going to hear the fourth movement. Here she is again just to tell us a little bit more about this music. The string quartet in general, the first one that I wrote, has this duality between sacred and carnival. The first movement is called the Profundis Clamavi, and it's, 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 it's a scream, it's... Uh, a cry from me or I don't know from who. And the last movement, which is the one I played to you, is also a place without God. I mean, the first one is supposed to be a place without God where you need God and you cry for God and you call him. But the last one is again a situation where there is no God, but then you don't need that God. 
you just kind of celebrate. So uh, this fourth movement is uh, dance, kind of a macabre dance. And it has, a, well, a rhythm of an abstract dance. It's not coming from any particular culture. And I developed its rhythm, and I have in this movement one of these elements that I was telling you about, the, the mechanic thing, the repetition, and the idea of the rhythm that gets broken at some point. That's Carlina Noguero once again talking now about the influence of the music we're about to hear, the fourth movement of her first string quartet. Here is the Quarteto Manolov to perform the music of Carolina Noguera. hear what the composer is talking about when she says she's influenced by machines. There's definitely a machine-like intensity to that music. It's a very short piece, but I love it so much. It's by Carolina Noguera. It is the fourth movement of her string quartet. What a phenomenal performance, too, by Quarteto Manolov. 
I'm featuring the music of Colombian composers on today's program. This is the first in a two-part series called In the Field, Colombia. The next composer that I was able to speak with was a great honor, I felt, to be able to talk with him in person. This is one of the most revered figures in Colombian music, Francisco Zumaque. We talked about his influences, and in particular, a teacher who was very important to him early on. I study uh, here in Colombia, in Bogota, uh, with uh, the different composers and different uh, professors, uh, like uh, González Zuleta, Olaf Roth. But uh, I think that the, the special uh, thing was uh, to be in Europe uh, with Nadia Boulanger, uh, Nadia Boulanger, I think that was uh, the, 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 the teacher that uh, gave the, the confidence uh, to me to do what I wanted to do as a composer. Because um, she always insists to work uh, with uh, your essential, natural uh, music, your the, the, the way you, you think, uh, the way you, not the music that uh, you construct, that you think and put together the notes and put together the, the harmonies and everything. No, here is your soul that uh, talk. That's composer Francisco Zumaque, one of the most respected figures in Colombian music, talking about another highly respected figure, Nadia Boulanger, with whom he was very fortunate to be able to study in Paris as a young man. We also talked about another opportunity he had when he was even younger. I like uh, very much to write for percussion because it's uh, an element that I know very well. From my childhood, uh, it was, uh, my father had an orchestra, popular orchestra, then I, I got the possibility to experiment with the, with the whole orchestra, absolutely, with orchestration, with many kind of uh, sax and trumpets and uh, pianos and everything. But percussion was, uh, in the whole Caribbean uh, region, is uh, like a language. Everybody uh, understand that, and then uh, I, I start doing many experiments in this uh, and composition in this uh, direction. That's composer Francisco Zumaque talking to me about this great opportunity he had while still a child to write for his father's orchestra. Kind of reminds me of the situation of Haydn, where he had the Esterhazy Orchestra that he could work with at any time and try out all these different ideas. But in this case, Zumake is actually a child, and I'm sure some of the orchestra members were wondering why they were playing the music of a child. But of course, he's a very talented and precocious child, and he developed into a great composer. I think he had a special fascination with the percussion section. A lot of his music features wonderful use of percussion. So let's play a large-scale work of his for percussion. This is Matanaganti. We're only able to hear an excerpt, music of Francisco Zumake. <laughs> Thank you. 
music by Francisco Zumake. It's written for a large-scale percussion ensemble. The piece is called Matanaganti. We're only able to hear an excerpt, but I think it's a great example of this brilliant kind of music that he writes. The sound, to me, is just so bright and vibrant, especially the rhythms, the use of percussion. And again, this is a composer who was experimenting with a full orchestra from the time he was a young child. So he has a great command of orchestral color, even when he's only working with percussion. He's one of the most revered composers in Colombian musical circles. It was quite an honor to be able to speak with him, study with the great Nadia Boulanger in Paris. Much later, in 1989, he was in Berlin when the wall came down, and he told me that he even contributed to tearing it down and still has a piece of the wall in his collection. Fascinating figure, Francisco Zumake. The last composer I want to feature on today, the first part in the two-part series, In the Field, Colombia, is Damian Ponce. And he's a fascinating figure to me because his musical career took an interesting turn that he was not at all expecting. I was trained, first of all, as a drummer, as a percussionist, since I was a little kid. My family is a musician family. There are a lot of musicians there. And then um, I never thought I was going to write classical music when I was a teenager. I, I was more into rock and maybe jazz was the, the, the goal, the top place where you could play as a drummer. When I graduated from high school, I went to Cuba to study percussion. But being there, I started to study counterpoint, harmony uh, with my master, Tulio Peramo. And then... Um, I started to feel that percussion was not enough to express my musical ideas. So I started to take it more and more seriously, never thinking about myself as a composer because I, I felt a lot of respect for composition. It was like this really far away thing for me, like only really bright people could do that and whatever. You know. So it was Tulio, my teacher, who started to tell me, okay, we've been, we've been working for more than a year and you've been writing music. You should really think about writing music. So then a new door opened in my life and I went to the ISA, which is the conservatory in Cuba. And finally I got in and I started musical composition in Cuba, which was sort of a surprise for myself, but I, didn't, I never thought about it. I knew I was going to be a musician, but I never thought I was going to be a composer. And of course, not a classical composer. That's percussionist and composer Damian Ponce telling us about how his career took an unexpected turn. He really wanted to be a jazz drummer and after a trip to Cuba wound up becoming a composer, a classical composer no less. The piece I want to feature is called Dias de Papel, which means Days of Paper. Here he is to tell us about the inspiration for that music. Dias de Papel is the name of a movie, uh, a black and white movie with no sound that... Um, a very important filmmaker from the 60s made, Jorge Silva. And in 2012, the International Film Festival from Bogota called me because they wanted to do a live representation of the movie with music. So I had to write the music and it, it's got no lyrics or anything at all. It was mute. So I had to recreate the whole movie with my music. And it was with a small chamber orchestra. So it was a great opportunity for me to work with, with uh, visuals, which has always been a very important interest in my career. So I made it. It was very, very interesting, uh, but I, it was very um, frustrating that we could not record it because there was not enough uh, money or whatever. So I decided to write a chamber piece based on the music that I wrote for the visuals for that movie, and it became this piece that you will hear for uh, Piano Quintet. What I did was I took the most important ideas of the movie 
or the music, which try uh, seem to be the same at the end for me, and I organized them in a as as best as I could, and it resulted in a completely new music, but it was based on the on the ideas that I took for the movie. Is the movie telling a story or is it more experimental? Actually, it is telling a story, and I'm glad you asked about that because it tells a story about a rich and a poor little uh, kid during the 60s in Bogota. Mostly what's interesting about it is that uh, this guy Silva uh, with his wife Marta Rodriguez were very important documentaries. They, they made really important documentaries about uh, the social documentaries about the inequality in Colombia. So it was a great way of seeing Bogota during the 60s and for me it was amazing to see my own city picture with these two social uh, ways of living and these two kids relating. That's composer Damian Ponce telling us about the music we're about to hear, Days of Paper. I love this piece of music. It's a very slow burn. It develops very, very gradually, but it's very lovely. It's for string quartet and prepared piano. And one of the ways that the piano is prepared, you may have guessed it, is pieces of paper on the strings. Here are Quarteto Q Arte alongside Antonio Correa, prepared piano, to perform an excerpt of Dias de Papel by Damian Ponce.
It's beautiful music by composer Damian Ponce. I think it's so lovely when the strings come in. We hear that piano setting things up. Again, it's a prepared piano. There is paper on the strings to give it that very brittle quality. And then the strings come in with that very beautiful sound. This is music that's representing a silent film from the 1960s, Days of Paper. It's worth knowing, too, that the silent film was in black and white. I just feel for some reason you can hear that in the music. It feels very devoid of color in this really wonderful way. Again, that's Dias de Papel, Days of Paper by Damian Ponce. We heard the Quartetto Q Arte performing with Antonio Correa, prepared piano. That's all the time we have for today, the first in a two-part series, In the Field, Colombia. If we've learned anything here on Relevant Tones, In the Field, it's that there is no one sound you're going to hear in any one country. There's no one Mexican sound or Korean sound or, in this case, Colombian sound. The composers are all highly trained. They've often studied abroad. They have a huge wealth of influences. But in some cases, they are also very much interested in the folk and indigenous music of their country. That's certainly the case with the composer we featured earlier, Francisco Zumake. But we didn't necessarily hear it in the piece that he chose for us to play. But he's very famous for a piece called Colombia Caribe. Uh, so I thought it'd be fun with the last few minutes of the program today to go out with that music. Music. Here is Colombia Caribe, as much as we can play by Francisco Zumake to close out part one of In the Field, Colombia. by Jesse McCorders, with special thanks to Mauricio Peña, Inti Alejandra Viana La Rota, and the Banco de la República. You can find us as a podcast on iTunes, and for more information about the program and the artists we've featured, and for streaming versions of all previous episodes, you can visit us at relevanttones.com. Relevant Tones is made possible in part by the generous support of GCM Grosvenor, the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, the Amphion Foundation, and the listener supporters of the WFMT Fine Arts Circle. This project is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts, Art Works. I'm Seth Bosted, and this is the WFMT Radio Network. <laughs>